My name is Kevin, and uh, my brother Nathan, and my sister-in-law Shannon. They've uh, been coming here for a few years, and uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to Scott and okay, you were over there this morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that again. I want to say thank you, Scott. Uh, as I mentioned, the first service, just really thankful for an opportunity to come here and be uh, among your fellowship, and just get to talk about uh, what I love to do and the people I love. And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, not a lot of places uh, are like this that really care about seeing the gospel advance to other places where it's not known. And Paul mentioned in uh, Romans chapter 15 that that was his heart's desire, is to see the gospel go out where it's not known in Jesus' name, it's not heard, and uh, that it would advance. And so uh, this is my heart's cry as well. Um, just thankful for hospitality of your church and you may have seen, I uh, brought with me today my seven-year-old daughter, uh, my wife, and our younger daughter. She had a fever yesterday, so they went back to Branson, and, and me and our oldest daughter, we um, stayed at the Precious Moments Hotel uh, last night. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not big on Precious Moments stuff. I know that might be Harrison. <laughs> I think we drove a little bit, uh, enough this morning that we drove away from it. I wasn't going to get too many boxers uh, by saying that. But as a kid, I always saw these dolls, and I was like, oh, man, they look so sad. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I go to, like, the capital of it, and uh, we were staying at their hotel. And, um, so uh, breakfast this morning, my daughter, she wanted biscuits and gravy. And I thought, okay, so I'll get your plate ready. And so... Um, we, I went back in there to see what I was going to get, and I'm trying to do the healthy eating a little bit better, you know, when I see the honey buns, and, you know, they got the uh, biscuits and gravy and sausage piled up, and then over on the other side of the room, they have the apples and the bananas. Well, wouldn't you guess it? There's a picture of all these precious moments, angel babies, coming, coming out of heaven right above these. And that's how I go, okay, I'll do it. Precious moments, babies. I'll eat it. <laughs> and so uh, I get here, and there's donuts. And, uh, I don't really know what to think of y'all. Uh, no precious moments, baby angels, saying okay to this. So maybe there is. I just didn't see it. So uh, I'll let y'all off the hook. I'll just trust you. So, um, that's uh, kind of where I was this morning. So, uh, uh, originally from Lebanon, Missouri, uh, you know, up by 44. Um, I grew up there my whole life. I went off in the military after I graduated high school. Uh, God brought me to some places in the Middle East through those uh, years of, of being in there and got to see people for the first time uh, over there. And through all of that process, God, uh, God brought me and my wife to a point where we could go overseas and me uh, about the Middle East. My wife and I had a conversation. She doesn't remember quite as vividly as I do, but at one point about, I'd say 10 years ago, I just became really frustrated with uh, just what I saw on the news and what I saw in the situation there. And, and we were in seminary, and we were about ready to figure out what we were going to do. And I said, man, this Middle East thing is just a disaster. I was like, we seem to be making all the wrong decisions how to work with these people. And she, she says to me, she says, then how about you do something about it? And I thought, okay, well, what does that look like? And that, uh, that carried us to one of the uh, harder places in all the world. And uh, uh, if we can get that first map up, I want to uh, kind of share with you about where our work is. Um, 
this, as you know, the Arabian Peninsula, uh, main part of the Middle East that uh, we see a lot in our news. Um, I'm going to use a laser pointer. I'm not not targeting Israel. Okay, so let's don't do that. Okay. Let's just don't go there. Okay, I'm circling it. Okay, all right. Uh, we're familiar with this. We're familiar with this region. It's in the back of our Bibles. It's in the maps. Uh, we're familiar with this region. Uh, you're familiar with countries like Egypt, okay, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, okay, Yemen. That comes up in the news quite a bit. Sudan as well. Um, uh, further south, you have places like Somalia. But uh, this area right here, this area in white, is the area I want us to focus on. If you could just go to that slide number two, brother. Okay. And um, this area here is the area you're going to be really familiar with. Okay. It's the uh, Sea of Galilee up here with Israel. Um, the Dead Sea right here. And Jordan River going right in between them. Okay. I'm not going to do a geography lesson this morning, but there are some things that you kind of need to know. Uh, the people we are reaching, uh, my wife and I, were reaching with another, uh, with a, with in, as a part of a team with other couples over there, is the area of the West Bank, Palestinian people group in the West Bank and in Gaza. Okay? And my laser pointer started to fade out, so we won't leave it. Um, but the West Bank, in this area in particular, if you go to that next slide, make sure we're on the same one here. Okay, this is the area... Uh, that you saw in the darker orange, that's right here, it's associated with this. Okay, this is this area right here. It has a num- numerous amount of cities in it that you're probably familiar with, just some uh, basic biblical knowledge. Uh, Bethlehem, this is the city where we live, that we have a home there as of right now, that we're, that's waiting on us to get back there. Um, an area here, Jericho, a very well-known city, uh, as Israelites came across Jordan uh, with... Uh, Joshua's leadership there. Uh, area of Nablus. You may not know about Nablus. Um, and that name, in Roman times, it was called Neapolis. And that's where it got that kind of combined word there, Nablus, in Arabic. But in Old Testament times, that was biblical Shechem. That was where the first tabernacle was placed, in Shechem. Okay? Um, areas here. This is East Jerusalem, according to this map. Now, when we talk about Jerusalem, we don't often think of it in terms of east and west, but in many ways, if you go over there, you see a division in between it. It doesn't have a wall or a gate or anything like that, but there's just an area where uh, primarily Arab Palestinians, mostly Muslim, live in East Jerusalem, where that red is located at, and then West Jerusalem is more Jewish. So there's about 800,000 people live in Jerusalem, 500,000 Jewish people, 300,000 Arab Christians or Muslims. So Bethlehem sits just south of it. Uh, another well-known city that you might be familiar with is Hebron. This is an area where Abraham and most of his family, with the exception of Rachel, was buried. And so there's a cave uh, marking where they're buried at. Uh, this is uh, the larger area where Palestinians are located at. Uh, about two and a half, maybe 2.8 million people live in this area of land who are Palestinian uh, in background. Now, if we can go to that next slide there. Okay, now this represents the Gaza Strip. If you'll see here on the map, this red square here, right up against the Mediterranean Sea, right up against the Egypt-Sinai uh, Peninsula, and against Israel, is this little place called the Gaza Strip. 1.8 million uh, Palestinians live in this area. Uh, 1.8, to kind of give you an idea, uh, this area of land makes up just a few city blocks. 
of a large city, what we would have in uh, New York or uh, Philadelphia, somewhere like this. It makes up just a few city blocks in, in its distance and its, in its width and breadth. So 1.8 million people living there. Uh, population density is one of the highest in the world living there. And so uh, 1.8 million people living there. And with the population altogether, Palestinians within the West Bank and Gaza equal about 4.5, 4.6 million people. In Israel proper, there are 9 million people. So just to give you an idea, the demographics, 9 million, um, I'd say 50% of those 9 million are secular uh, uh, Jews, um, people who identify with Jews, uh, Jewish background, but are very secular in their nature. Um, 2 million of that 9 million are, are uh, Arab Israelis, which some of them, most of them are Muslim, many of them are Christian. So just kind of give you a background. I don't mean to bore you with these details, but they are very essential to understanding a situation. It's actually very, uh, very difficult. And so that's what I want to get into this morning. If you go to that next slide, we'll talk about this last uh, series of maps. And uh, this map in general here, this is a little bit northern part uh, of Israel here. So what you have with these red triangles scattered out are where Palestinians have taken refuge as refugees in UN-sponsored refugee camps. So this is all throughout the region, uh, particularly Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. And then in the West Bank and Gaza, there are also refugee camps. These are people, when Israel was formed in 1948, these are people who were displaced from this dark orange territory right here. They were living there, and then they were pressed out. They were pushed out, and so they went to places like the West Bank, Gaza, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. And those camps have been in existence since that time, uh, many of them since 1967, since that Six-Day War, the famous war uh, between Israel and all the Arab states around it. So what we have is uh, a horribly complicated situation. Uh, we're not talking about people that necessarily live within certain borders. Uh, I talked about the West Bank and Gaza, but the, our people group actually spreads throughout these, uh, throughout these countries that you see on the screen right now. And uh, our area in Bethlehem, we lived there for a little over three and a half years. And if you can go to that next slide, kind of show you up here, I want to make sure we're looking at the same thing, uh, show you the building that's on the right, the, the shorter building. This was a place where we lived. We lived in this apartment right here. Um, across the way was a man and his wife and three sons and his father and mother lived below in the apartment below they were our landlords so this was an apartment we lived in for three and a half years while we were over there in Bethlehem Um, Bethlehem modern day Bethlehem and in your Bible Bethlehem two different things Uh, pretty big difference Uh, there's about I would say maybe 25,000 people that live in Bethlehem it is about half Muslim, half Christian. So the demographics that you'll have there, when you get to talking about people in Bethlehem, it's a very mixed bag of what you, what you can be talking about. Now, Bethlehem is actually very close to Israel. It takes about a 10-minute drive to get to Jerusalem from where we're located. We go through a series of checkpoints, <laughs> military checkpoints with soldiers, and it's quite a complicated process from get to one place to another. But Bethlehem... And the city to its direct east is called Beit Sahor. It's a place of about 20,000 people as well. And it has approximately 75% uh, 
Christian population. Now, when we talk about Christians in the Middle East, one thing that's uh, evident is many of them are Greek Orthodox, many of them are Catholic, many of them come from those backgrounds, but they do not identify with those things um, very much at all. Um, very many people that I talk to, they will go for a wedding and for a funeral to churches. And uh, sometimes that funeral may just be their funeral and maybe not everybody else's. So a very uh, nominal is what I can say. When we talk about Christ followers, there are Christ followers. There's believers who are born again, who identify as born again, that uh, live in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. But they are very, very small in number. Uh, now, being small doesn't necessarily mean uh, you lack uh, ability to do things and the ability to do ministry. What's powerful about born-again believers there in this region is they see the conflict around them. They live right in the midst of it. But imagine a gospel witness of forgiveness of Christ living in the midst of this conflict here that you see on your television screens. And um, something I mentioned in the first service, one thing we run the danger of is kind of doing what I've kind of just done. We talk about numbers, we talk about maps, we talk about political conflict, we talk about uh, horrible circumstances, but we forget a very important part of these areas. People. We forget. We forget faces. We forget names. We don't know names. We don't know anybody like this that lives in these places over here. Uh, one of our great joys was figuring out how to live in a place like this from the beginning. We get dropped off in an apartment building surrounded by people who only speak Arabic. And we don't know any Arabic yet when we arrive there. And so um, we just started going out bit by bit and making our circle a little bit bigger every week. And we find we get excited. We go, oh, we found a bakery. We found a meat place. We found a grocery store. It's like, okay. You got food, okay, but what? how do you live there? It's one thing to exist in a place. It's another thing to actually thrive in a place. And so um, our organization, thanks to help that you give through your funding, we were able to get a vehicle and we were able to get an apartment that can kind of be a place where we could just call home. And when you live overseas, you, you're looking for home, whether you realize it or not. It may be through an English conversation that you have with someone it may be through books that you can find that are in English. You're looking for a home in, in some way, shape, or form. And if you've ever been displaced like that, that's kind of the feeling that you get. And so one thing our organization, through funding that you provide, is able to give us ways to learn the language. A lot of people come and go out of here offering relief services and aid services, but they don't take the time to learn the culture or the language. So that is, you're only going to make just a drop. Of, of influence if you don't really get to know them as people. So what I want to emphasize this morning is people. We can talk about maps, we can talk about news, we can talk about politics, but if you forget people, you forget the whole thing. Because that's who Christ died for, was people. And so I want to share with you some scripture this morning. I'll talk to you a little bit more about these people as we move on, but in 2 Thessalonians, uh, I mean in uh, 1 Timothy, I want you to turn there first. And we'll get to 2 Thessalonians later. In 1 Timothy, I want you to go to chapter 1, because I want to make sure we understand uh, when we talk about people, uh, Apostle Paul went to talk about himself and what this meant as far as Christ's sacrifice and its far-reaching capabilities. In 1 Timothy chapter 15, or chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 15, that'd be great. Uh, 
I do like them both, but it, it just stopped at uh, six chapters, I believe. Uh, so, um, First Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15. We'll start there. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this passage of scripture. Uh, something I mentioned was uh, during our time there, you kind of go through some ups and downs. I mean, there were some times in which we were incredibly blessed by people who would invite us into their homes. And that came most of our time there as without God. But I tell you, there were so many times that we came home and we just sat there and go, man, we just feel so lonely. And I tell you, it was part of it. It was part of that struggle of being there. But part of those times where we were lonely, part of those times where we struggled, God just really poured into me through the scriptures and through fasting and prayer and just going, God, I need you to help us get through this time. And not just help us survive, but just really thrive and be a witness here. And one of the things he's shown me was this passage. Because so much of what we get over there, we get the same news that you get maybe just multiplied. We hear about every bombing, hear about every shooting, hear about every stabbing, hear about every time somebody drives a truck into people. We hear about every arrest that takes place in which some young man gets taken away with a blindfold. Never be seen again. And all these things happen over there. And it's just too much. It's just too much. And you just get surrounded by this conflict and this situation. And you're going, God, what kind of wasteland is this? What kind of people are these over here? And we look at we look at the news that happens seemingly every day in Twitter feeds and social media. And we hear all about these people uh, that are just horrible. Because that's the way the news describes it. And we're just filled and we're just going. And it just weighs on you after a while. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that it just comes on you and you just start thinking, maybe they're right, maybe these people are just horrible. What are we doing here? And he brought me this passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And he talks about a true and trustworthy in saying it's deserving of full acceptance, meaning that every believer can look at this passage and go, this is a true thing. This is a true thing, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, he's the foremost. So he came into the world to save sinners. And we take that concept and we, and we often take it a little too far sometimes when we look at it and go, Sinners, meaning we can separate some people from others. And then maybe me being born in a Christian home where, where I learn about Jesus when I'm crawling on the floor someone's reading me scripture passages at Sunday school and I'm coloring Jesus purple in Sunday school and, you know, and doing all that. And I, I'm constantly learning about it. The people over in these places over here where we're going to now, they don't know his name. And one thing we begin to do when we look at all that news we look at all those influences of media and the internet and stories, and we see people in a light 
they probably should never have to see people in. See, we tend to put people in, in enemies and good guys. Whether it was toys that we played with as kids. Um, one thing for me, and uh, I'm just going to confess, when I was young, uh, I had a really big fascination with uh, wrestling on TV. And uh, um, you can't judge me, okay? Some of you guys ate the non precious moments, blessed moments. But uh, I loved, for, uh, I think it was Saturday Night Main Event, WrestleMania. Anything I could get. Now, WrestleMania, they put on that pay-per-view or cable, and I didn't have access to that. So I just, and you didn't have internet. You just didn't know what happened with those WrestleMania. So I just have to hear about it over time, and under the giant, beat this guy. Okay, great. Well, Hulk Hogan was my guy, and there wasn't any other guy. Really. Ultimate Warrior, okay, I liked him for a little bit. But Hulk Hogan was my guy. You want to talk about the good guy. The guy came in. Sometimes he had an American flag, he had a theme song, and I loved it. Well, there was, with a good guy, there's always a bad guy. You know, it's kind of like a, wrestling is kind of like a soap opera. There's just, they just drag you in. Like you're, so here I was, like a 10-year-old kid, just sucked into this huge soap opera wrestling. Well, the good guy was always the good guy. Hulk Hogan was always the good guy. I don't have time to walk you through the timeline of wrestling through the 80s and 90s. I don't have time to do that. But this morning, I want you, I want you to... Think of me here. Hulk Hogan. Guy, he did the, you know, the thing like this, you know, and, and showing off the muscles and everything like that. But then there was a bad guy. Bad guy that I remember. Iron Sheik. Bad guy. I had my wrestling ring and my guys. Hulk Hogan was always the good guy. There was never any challenge to that. He was always going to win, and he was going to go off the top ropes, and he was going to do whatever he did. He would dominate. Iron Sheik was always the bad guy. He was always going to be the bad guy. There was never a way that Iron Sheik was ever going to be on a tag team with Hulk Hogan. They were never going to be working together. They were never going to be behind the scenes together. It was always going to be the bad guy, and Hulk was always going to be the good guy. And that's the way it was always going to be. Now, I'll tell you what, we do that. We think these guys are always going to be the bad guys. These guys are always going to be the bad guys. When people look at these lands and these people, they say these guys are always going to be the bad guys. There's never going to be any, never going to be any help for them. Paul says, Paul says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. When we arrived here in December to come home, see family, visit churches. We, nothing quite prepared us when we turned on television screens and saw presidential candidates talking about how people like this were nothing. We're scum. And we, we watched this news and we were just going, are, are they talking about people like this? Is this normal? Turns out it's not normal, but uh, some, some people believe it is. But that people could be put in such a position, whether it be Syrian refugees, whether it be Palestinian Muslims, whether it be a member of Hamas in Gaza, as Christians, our response is much different. Our outlook is much different because we're talking about kingdom advancement. And that isn't kingdom advancement through weaponry or violence or another war over there, but kingdom advancement that comes through the power 
of Christ Jesus only. We went over there to see that take place. Now, I met a man a few weeks before we got on a plane to come here. And I got asked to lead a Bible study at a local church in, in Bethlehem. And I was sitting next to a young man, and he had his copy of the scriptures in Arabic. And he was reading them. And I'd never met him before. He was 22 years old. And he was telling me about his family. And his family wanting to uh, find him. That he was living on his own. And a young man, 22 years old, not married, living on his own is very, very strange in this culture. It turns out he was on the run from his family. And I said, okay, what you're telling me is that you were once Muslim, okay, but now you're, you're a Christ follower. Who told you, I'm trying to get the history here, who told you about Jesus? Who told you about him? And he said, I saw him in a dream. Song of the Dream. And he got connected with a local fellowship somehow. Someone discipled him. So I'm in a dream. So I'm trying to do my job over there. And Jesus is like, hold on, buddy. I'll, I'll take care of some stuff here. And so, reaching people that I, I couldn't reach. What it communicates is this message that Paul is saying. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says a statement that none of us would like to say. He says, of whom I am the foremost. But the best reason, what, what, what God really showed me through this passage of the Holy Spirit, in verse 16, he says, that I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as foremost, as the worst possible sinner, as iron sheep of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Meaning that Christ did his work on Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, to bring him the Apostle Paul, follower of Christ, to put those scales over his eyes upon bright light being shown, to go to the house of Ananias, be baptized, and be sent out to preach the gospel. Christ can do that work in Apostle Paul. What Scripture is saying here is there's enough patience for anyone. There's enough patience for anyone. There's enough patience for that guy who's sitting right now in a home across the ocean right now in places like Hebron who's sitting there thinking, how many Israelis can I kill? There's enough grace for that guy. There's enough grace for one of those Israelis who's thinking, how many Palestinians can I shoot today in my job in the army? There's enough grace for that guy too. So our job, I don't work with the State Department. I I don't set borders. I don't try to calculate people and put people in boxes. I don't try to do that. Um, I, I come from the perspective of I'm about kingdom advancement. So whether it is Israeli coming to Christ or Palestinian coming to Christ, either way, I'm happy with that result. So a lot of people won't say that, but um, the goal of kingdom advancement is that Christ's name would be known where he is not. 
And where we're serving, he's not known in a lot of places. So one thing I want to leave you with today is faces. We talk about maps, we talk about conflict, we talk about situation, but you don't see faces. And so, uh, Dakota, if you could pull up that video, uh, Bethlehem video, let that play and let us maybe see faces for a little bit.
for the sufferings that he would carry. They expected to see a prince in a castle. They did not expect a baby born in poverty. It's uh, not rich. It's, uh, it's very poor. I know all about this. God loves the poor people, rich people, old people. He's a refugee. Jesus is a refugee. They wanted to kill him. There was order to kill all the children of Bethlehem, newborns to uh, two years old. That's why she flew to Egypt. Jesus born uh, refugee because God he wanted to teach us how if Jesus born refugee what about us and he teaches us about to give forgiveness and love they come from God to give him the message for peace this is the important thing that the God is told to Isa to, 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 to the people. Yes. The Prince of Peace being born in the most troubled land on earth, it has like a significance maybe. We need peace inside ourselves and we need peace all over the world. We can feel the peace in our life because we have hope. Hope coming where we understand each other and the hope coming where we understand God for our life. I think Jesus knocking uh, doors of the hearts of people. And he asked for anyone to open for him to start the new Christmas with him. Isa is the principle of peace. Yes, Isa is the, 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 the principle of peace. Spirits. Principle of peace. We work with that kind of language, but uh, we use that term "prince of peace" at Christmas time a lot. But they use it on a regular basis with their prayers. Those believers do. I want to leave you with a passage of scripture, and I'll close. In Second Thessalonians chapter three, just across the page there from First Timothy. Second Thessalonians chapter three. Verse 1, it says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And so this is uh, a prayer that Paul, the missionary, was asking the Thessalonians to remember uh, for his ministry. And I love that line. I love what it says because it's right at my heartbeat. It says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And um, in America, we have churches and Bibles and preachers and it's all over the place. But there, there's places where you can go, where you speak about Jesus, and He is not known. And so, our prayer that we just ask that you would echo is pray that the Lord, word of the Lord, may speed ahead and be honored as it happened among you as well.
So many verses we said that really run quickly. That's, that's our, our desire. There's so much conflict, and every day there's another life lost. Every day there's another life lost. Every day there's another attack, there's another quarrel, there's another arrest, there's another life that's gone. And we just pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead quickly and it be honored, just as it was here. And so, uh, if you'll join with me in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for fellowship like this, who is perfectly welcoming someone to come in and talk about the lost and those who need Christ. And I, I thank you for this fellowship. Father, I pray that your blessings be upon this fellowship and its members. And uh, Lord, I, I, I come here today and I just... I wanted to remind them that our thoughts and prayers need to be with the lost. And in particular, Lord, I just brought up the Palestinian people. Lord, you know their plight, you know their situation. I just pray, Lord, that you would send out laborers into the harvest. And for those Palestinian believers who searching for encouragement, I pray that you provide it right now. And many struggling, many in hardships, I pray that you give peace to them. Um, Father, may your word speed ahead quickly up in this land. And Father, I pray that we remember them, but also remember that you are completely patient and you are completely faithful to do the task. And so we just put it in your hands and ask that you just take control of it. And may the kingdom advance in those lands and among that people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if we could do something this morning. If we could uh, just have some people gather around Kevin and and uh, lift up his family. I just want to do that this morning for just a few minutes and uh, lift him up in prayer. People that he's reaching, lift up his, uh, his associates that he's working there with people. So if you'd be willing to do that, just, uh, just stand up right now and just go to him. Gather around there to pray. Thank you.